Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we're joined by Ben Walker, the founder of the accounting practice Inspire CA. Ben's story is an interesting one. He founded Inspire at the age of 23 based on the idea that instead of just doing tax and reporting on history, accountants just maybe could provide game-changing advice that could help people write a better future for their business and their family. Ben is a really inspiring guy, so good choice of company name, I think. He's also a winner of the coveted Anthill Online 30 Under 30 Award and a finalist in the Brisbane Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. And today we have the fabulous Ben Walker on the show talking about his brand new book, Cash Up, Seven Steps to Pull More Money, Time and Happiness from Your Business. Now, this is not our usual legal topic, but I feel that this is the sort of information that is really important for our listeners. And I do love the premise, talking about pulling more time, money and happiness for a business. So here we go. listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple, actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Without further ado, how about we lead into the fact that today you and I are talking about your brand new book, Cashed Up, Seven Steps to Pull More Money, Time and Happiness from Your Business. So, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joanna. My absolute pleasure having you here because as soon as I saw that you had released a book, I thought, oh my goodness, I love the premise of that book, the pulling more time, more money and more happiness for a business. And I thought like our listeners are really going to identify with this. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't want that out of a business? So whilst this isn't our usual legal topic, I feel like this is the sort of information that is really important for our listeners. So that's why we're going off today on a little bit of a tangent from our usual legal discussions. And and I think there'll be a few elements there that we'll, we'll put in to talk about a legal discussions, but what's the point of having the right foundations for a business and having a business that's legally secure if you're not pulling, you know, more money, time and happiness out of it? So I guess this is a bit more of a a foundational focus, I think, that we're going down today. So I just really wanted to start, I think, Ben, by stepping back before we get into the book, and I do want to get into the book, let's step back and talk about why you wrote the book. What was your reasoning behind writing it? Um, well, I guess uh, I might need to take a step back even further than uh, deciding whether we were going to write. write Why not? Let's do that. And, and this was kind of the decision for starting Inspire. And it's um, it's kind of because I looked around at the accounting industry and, and there, there wasn't too much, uh, you know, real value being added to um, clients or not, not on a broad scale anyway. I always had a problem with things like uh, timesheets or charging by the hour or, uh, you know, even like accounting uh, technology, uh, even bookkeeping software. Um, you know, there was a lot of accounting firms not taking advantage of cloud uh, technology and, and that sort of thing. And even ha- how they did stuff internally in their organization was just a bit archaic. 
And so, uh, you know, I had, had a bit of a dream and, and some ideas of how we could do that better and almost have it focused on providing as much value to our client as possible. Um, and so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, in fact, well, five and a half uh, almost, five and a half years later, you know, from an impact perspective, uh, you know, which is what we're so proud of, is actually creating impact and, and, and helping our clients. Uh, we saved uh, a total of over $7 million now in, in tax. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess from, from the tax conversation, that's only sort of one part or one element that we can kind of help a client. And so um, we wrote the, the, the book Cashed Up to share not only the tax, which is actually step one of seven um, in, in the steps to getting cashed up, um, cutting taxes number one, but we wanted to share our philosophies on uh, quite a number of other ways that we can help our clients in a really impactful and measurable way. All right, so let's get get into it then. So we've talked about why you wrote the book. Now let's talk about what you talk about in the book. What are the seven steps to getting cashed up? And happy, I like that you include getting more happiness as well. That's an interesting thing to include in an accounting-based book. Yep, no, definitely. And I think, you know, if we're not happy with what we're doing, why why are we really doing it? You know, most... Uh, most of the time we spend in our life, um, you know, unfortunately, isn't with our loved ones, uh, you know, at home. Um, for most of us, it's actually with our team and, and with what we do in our business. Um, and so, you know, if we're really not enjoying that, then I really want to challenge people to uh, to change that or to, to do things that, that actually um, make you pull more happiness out of the business. Um, and, and why we kind of picked uh, time, money and happiness is that usually the three are interrelated somehow. So if you've got more time uh, back as, as a business owner or you, you're sort of making a bit more money, then usually that leads on to happiness or more money might need, lead to more time or more time to sort of think about some strategies might lead to more money. So it's this all sort of interlinking thing where they, they all help each other. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, it makes a lot of sense. So what are they? Take, take us through them. What, what can we do, Ben? What can we do? That's it. Well, the seven steps uh, we've written about, uh, the first one is cutting tax. And so, uh, you know, we've saved our clients seven million bucks in tax and uh, we think we know a few things about it. So that is actually our, our biggest and first chapter. In a bit of a brief summary, what are the main areas that you see providing opportunities for tax savings for businesses? Absolutely. Well, there's there's a couple of main ones. Um, I guess the biggest tax saving strategy is actually uh, making sure you have the right business structure for the level of business that you're at and and what you're doing. There's there's a couple of different structures that we've got. We've got sole trader, company and trust and some variations of, of all of those. And, um, yeah, what we see is if, if you've got the right structure, uh, you, know, you might pay $10,000, dollars $30,000 less than having the wrong structure, maybe even more than that in some cases. And, so, yeah, that's the biggest bang for buck. Wow, wow. Okay, and so – and I just have to reiterate on that side, you, you know, where we see this come through in the most magnified versions is when businesses come to the point of sale because we do a lot of work with businesses who are at the point of sale. And if they have come to us when they are already, uh, you know, starting on the transaction, so it's too late to clean up their business, often we can identify that if we'd only just been able to all come in first earlier with the accountants and with us together working on their structure, you know, it could have had a massive impact on the amount that they end up taking out of the sale at the end of the day. You know, we've had instances where I believe, and I'm not an accountant, (laughs) you're the accountant here, Ben, but my 
assessment of the situation was that in a number of cases, our clients could literally have saved millions of dollars in tax. Now, that's a large amount of tax to be uh, writing, cutting on a check to the ATO if you don't have to. So, I think structuring and, and its relationship to tax is a really critical thing for a business. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on something really important there too, Joanna, where uh, you mentioned if we came in at the start or earlier, um, and uh, you know, most of the strategies we write about are actually um, stuff that you can't do retrospectively. Um, you, know, you have to sort of be on the front foot with this stuff. And unfortunately, most, most people or business owners don't know about it um, and most accountants don't really share uh, these these sort of things that you know they might be fairly simple to implement, but um, if you're not doing them, then you can't really choose to go back and do them. Simple to implement at the right time, you know, very complicated to implement, and you know, sometimes just impossible to implement if timing's wrong. Yes, yeah, definitely. All the ships sailed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. So number one, we've cut our tax. Where do we move to next? Yep. Uh, so the sec- the next one is capturing profits. So um, have you ever got the uh, to the end of the year and the accountant sort of uh, sat, sat down with you, ran you through the profit and loss, and you might see a profit line there, and uh, you know it might be let's say it's a hundred grand, uh, and you say, well, where's the profit going? That's <laughs> mm, <laughs> just a yeah. profit on paper. Here's the number. Can I take that now and put it towards you know my holiday? <laughs> so where has it gone, Ben? Where has it gone? How do we get it back? Yeah, well, um, the, the the idea is to not lose it in the first place, um, and, uh, and make sure uh, you're capturing your profit. You're literally taking it out of the business before uh, you know it gets lost on on paper. And um, you know the, the the accounting answer to uh, where it goes is usually debt, or you've actually taken the money out you just haven't realised and spent it. Um, you know, but um, that that's where a profit line on paper can disappear to. And if you don't understand that stuff, then, uh, yeah, it might be a very frustrating time to see it on paper and uh, not have it in the bank. Um, but, yeah, the, the best thing you can do is to actually take it out and, and, um, and, and before it disappears. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Okay, I think everyone listening will agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Let's get that profit out. <laughs> but obviously, you know, but, but obviously many own business owners then will say there's a component that they want to put back in terms of allowing for growth of the business. But I guess what you're saying is make sure that's a considered decision, not something that has happened because you have you haven't understood how the numbers are working in your business and you've just pulled out your P&L and you think you've got all this profit when in reality you've not. And so then where do we move to next? So we've talked about tax, we've talked about profit. What's the next element? Um, so the next one is controlling cash flow. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, what we're looking there is the actual cash ins and outs of the business. Um, you know, so some practical things um, uh, to, to keep in mind is making sure that, um, you know, people who owe you money aren't sort of blowing out or they're paying you on time. Um, and, and, and likewise, uh, that, you know, people you owe money to aren't getting frustrated because you're not paying them and that sort of thing. Even sort of practical things like, uh, you know, every time the bus comes around each month or each quarter, um, that you've got the money ready to go to pay that um, rather than sort of, you know, getting chased by the ATO or um, having a, you know, anxiety every month or, or quarter when that, um, that bus bill comes in from the accountant. 
Mm. And And I think implicit in that then is also having an understanding of how much money you need to provision for each of these different areas. Now, of course, your um, accounting software, you, you know, most, many, but I don't know, most business owners generally are um, sort of on top of how their accounting software works. Is that correct, Ben? I don't know. That's uh, m- my feeling is probably, but I'm not sure. But what business owners perhaps aren't absolutely on top of is, you know, how much they should be provisioning for tax, for example, moving into the future. Because what can happen is you can have a really good year and then, you know, wait a bit, do, do your taxes, but then business owners forget, well, hold on, now we've got the catch-up tax to pay. And then, you know, the ATO, there'll be other catch-up amounts. And then suddenly we have a cash crunch in the business, uh, particularly for growing businesses. So I think that's a critical thing in what you're talking about here in terms of controlling cash flow is not just provisioning, putting the cash aside, but firstly, understanding what you have to put aside, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And that, um, that one about the sort of uh, the catch up tax, uh, I call the tax holiday, especially for newer businesses or ones who are growing rapidly year on year. Yeah. Where, um, yeah, if they haven't put it away, they usually get about a year and a quarter's tax bill in one hit. It'll just, yeah, so you, you're paying your last year's tax, but the ATO also wants a provisional amount for the current year that you're in. So, um, yeah, double whammy, especially if you haven't put away. And then we'll be upping, you, you know, requiring instalments on each baz. So, you know, the, the pain doesn't stop. <laughs> it continues. <laughs> and which is fine. You know, as you say, this is, this is due to, um, a tax, tax holiday. Is that what you called it, Ben? Yes, tax holiday. This is due to a tax holiday, which sounds like a good thing, and it is a good thing. But it's not a good thing if you don't know about it and you're not aware for it and you haven't been planning for it. I guess that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Just talking about the cash flow side of things, I uh, because as you say, a lot of this information is quite relevant for growing businesses. And that's certainly the type of business where cash crunches can really be most intense and most dangerous, I, I think very quickly growing businesses. And I think this focus on debtors and debtor days is another really important thing that many business owners don't have enough of an eye on because it can be very easy for debtor days to creep up. But the the cost to your business of a creep up in debtor days can sometimes be extremely high and far higher than you may have realized. So, I think the points you're making are really good. And it's also about what number one, understanding these figures, but then number two, acting on it. So, from the point of perspective of your debtor days growing, if if you identify that, then you can go back and work on the processes to ensure that you're reeling these debtors in a lot quicker and that you're taking proactive steps to reduce, not increase the debtor days. Definitely. And the, um, you know, one thing that really opened my mind on that one, or, or debtor days, which is the, the average time it takes your, uh, your customers to pay you. Uh, if you take a sort of million dollar turnover business and, and say their average days are 30 days for, for customers to pay. And if you just drop that by one day, that's going to put an average of $2,700 back in the bank account. So you imagine dropping it from 30 days down to, you know, two weeks or 14 days. Uh, you know, just quickly running the maths on that, not in my head, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's 44 grand that's going to appear out of nowhere. Wow. It's huge. That's amazing. And look, and, and let's, I guess, let's take this to a really practical level. You know, we, we say take from, move from 30 to 14 days, but I think we might find that many organisations who have 30-day terms are actually sitting at data days that are more like probably 40 or, you know, 60. maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe 60 as their average data days. So, you know, if we're looking at number one, changing our terms, so rather than 30 days, we're pushing it to 14, bringing it into 14. And then number two, bringing in our debtors from being outstanding to bringing in on time. I can't even imagine if you said we had 40-something grand in our bank account from moving from 30 to 14, what does it look like if we're moving from, let's say, 60 to 14? That must be astronomical. Something to bear in mind, I guess, for all business owners out there to, number one, understand their figures and, number two, um, to act on it. What next? So we've got tax, profit, cash flow. What's the um, what's the fourth element in getting cashed up? Number four is uh, is actually what we call checking your numbers, uh, and we've run through uh, about ten numbers uh, that we believe you need to know as a business owner. Uh, we detail them in the book. Go on, tell us what the ten are. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, actually, the first one I reckon is the uh, the best, and uh, if you track no other number apart from this, um, then uh, you know you, you're going to do a, a fair bit better or have a fair bit more grasp on the numbers than if you don't. Um, and that one is your magic number. Wow, what's our magic number? <laughs> so um, our magic number is how much sales that your business needs to uh, to, to hit every single week. Uh, for all of your expenses to be paid, for all of your tax or your debts to be paid, uh, for you to take out a uh, you know a decent amount of earning for your efforts as a business owner, because you know you're not work not here to work for free, um, and unfortunately most business owners when you take what they take out of a business and the hours they put in, you know, you're borderline on uh, minimum wage sometimes, um, and so uh, you, you want to be factoring into your weekly sales targets a good amount of profit for you to take out. And so, if, especially if you make your, your team or at least your sales team aware of that number, and then that's what they can sort of focus on and drive and to make sure, you know, it might be twenty dollars or $30,000 every week must be billed or must come in the door uh, for everything else to run. Can you imagine if your target was, you know, call it twenty five grand? And you were hitting constantly twenty five thousand dollars a week in sales, and imagine you know you stress around cash flow and uh, you know worrying how you're going to keep the lights on. Uh, it's just going to go massively uh, down. So um, yeah, if there's one out of the ten, it's just that magic number. Great. Okay. So our magic number, and then what? What are the other? Maybe how about? I guess we leave a little bit of intrigue still in the book, <laughs> but maybe give us the other two that that make it the top three numbers. Yeah, uh, well, uh, the, the next one we've got, number two, is your team's magic number, which is basically the most important number that's relevant to each of your team members. Now, that's very dependent on what they do. So a salesperson is obviously going to have a sales-related target um, and a workflow or production person might have a number of units they need to produce or, uh, you, know, um, you know, ours is actually, for our accountants, it's actually proactive advice meetings where we want to be having a certain amount of meetings with our clients because we know that meetings create impact for our clients and that also uh, comes back to reward us uh, commercially as well. 
Love it. It's I, I love the target being proactive meetings. That That's a really good target. And so let's talk about that a little bit more. Maybe these, these two targets, the magic number for your business and the magic number for your team. How do you suggest businesses go about creating these magic numbers? Well, you talked, I guess, about a bit about the individual, you know, cre- working out wh- what they need to take out. But I, I can hear people on the other end, you know, sort of saying, well, I mean, that's great. You know, I come up with this magic number of what I need, but, you know, how do I make sure that's realistic as well, you know, in terms of what the business can deliver? But looking at the team numbers, how do you come up with these team numbers? Hmm. Um, it's definitely not an easy process and, and it's, you know, you almost have to experiment with them and, and, you know, maybe you pick one sort of thing like, you know, our proactive accounting, proactive advice meetings, and it might might not be the right thing, but at least you're sort of tracking something rather than nothing. Um, but it just gives the team a, a goal and, and a, almost like a, a target to work with so that they know on a, on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis if they're doing a good job in your business. And, you know, the, the way to set them, yeah, it kind of depends on their function in the business. Um, you know, you might have, depending on the size of your business, you might have literally an accounts receivable person. And their goal, obviously, you know, we talked about it before, might be to get debtor days down from 60 to constantly seven or zero. Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> or minus, you know, these companies that bill and are paid in advance. Maybe that's the <laughs> I think that's uh, the, the utopia. We're, uh, we're definitely one of those. Uh, so we, we actually do project-based because we know what we're doing. We know what the price is. We know what the outcome is going to be before we do it um, and, and that's a business model shift and what it does is you know we're, we're not a bank <laughs> we're not here to fund uh, you know our, our, our invoices and so people ha- have to have a bit of trust to be able to accept that hey I'm going to pay you know, quite a few thousand dollars for a project but uh, it definitely makes um, you know the decision real for the client and we don't you know, we don't have the, the chasing or the debt of chasing that um, you know, if, if you don't have that system in place um, uh, we don't have that um, you know, overhead in a sense or um, constantly on our minds. Yep, yep. And then third number out of the 10 and then everyone can go and be, be forced to get your book so they can work out what the other seven <laughs> are. But what's, what's number three? Yep, number three is monthly recurring revenue. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, in business, I think consistency around uh, cash and sales is, is um, says a lot for Having more, um, you know, money, time, and I think most there is happiness. Uh, you know, if we're not stressing about, you know, how we're going to bring in the dollars next month, where we've got a certain amount of them on on recurring revenue or a certain amount of clients, um, then it just takes a lot of the stress out of finding the difference. Uh, I love sort of software subscriptions. How you know, maybe five, ten years ago, a lot of them shifted from you know buy this package of this CD off the shelf for a thousand bucks to, you know, actually, no, I'm going to charge $75 a month. You, you imagine the consistency after they start building a customer base that, um, you know, they know what their cash flow is pretty well before the month starts. I love it. So the monthly recurring revenue, fabulous. Well, let's take a short break. When we get back, Ben will continue down his list with steps five to seven in his seven steps to pulling more money, time and happiness out of your business. And that's next. You are listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. 
Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. While you were there, you might also like to check out our innovative product, Legal on Tap. Our SME version of this product provides a business with access to a team of lawyers to answer questions as they come up in the business. And our large business version also provides this access to our team of lawyers to ask questions, but it also provides a wide range of online-based training in contract law for non-lawyers. Both of these products are available for a ridiculously low monthly price. If you're interested, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au and check out our Legal on Tap pages or head over to our contact page and submit a form to let us know that you would like more information. Welcome back. Earlier, Ben and I walked through the first four steps in his seven-step plan to pulling more money, more time and more happiness out of your business. As a quick reminder, step one is cutting taxes. Step two, capturing profits. Step three, controlling cash flow. And step four, which we drilled into just before the break, is all about checking your numbers. Now, let's jump back to our conversation with Ben and talk about step five in getting all cashed up. So we've talked about tax, profit, cash flow numbers. Where are we at for number five in getting um, all cashed up? Yeah. Uh, so this one, which I think uh, you'll definitely love, given you deal with uh, quite a few business owners getting ready for this, is um, cranking your business value um, and love potentially it. ready ready for sale. Perfect. Okay. Love it. And so what's your what's your thoughts on the best way businesses can look to do this? Yeah, well, generally, uh, businesses are valued on a what's called a, a multiple of their profit, and, and so the formula for that is your profit times your profit multiple equals your business value in, in most situations. And there's some industries or businesses that might be paid for you know um, their revenue or basis of their revenue. Um, but yeah, we might go with sort of most businesses and, uh, off the profit line. And so, you know, one of the things we can do is definitely bump up our profit. But on the sales multiple or the profit multiple, I have a personal belief that if you're going to get a higher multiple, then you've got to have less risk in your business. And so if you start taking out the risk, you know, again, a very practical example of taking out the risk is monthly recurring revenue. If you've got, you know, a certain amount of, um, you know, sales coming in each month, that's less risk for the new owner or the, the person you're selling to when they're buying into it. And so, you know, having a, a solid team, having structure, having systems in the business where, um, you know, you can put a new team member in there or get a new owner in and they are very quickly up to speed with what the business does and how and, how and the nature of how they do uh, what they do with the business. 
I think it's a really good point because just anecdotally, we've never done any research on it. But from what we can see, it seems that organisations that have recurring revenue streams, so dependable, locked in, recurring revenue streams, will generally, from what we've seen, achieve a high multiple than those with less predictable income streams. And I guess it's about predictability because buyers want to feel that there's certainty in the value of the asset that they're buying, right? You know, they want to feel that they can extract the same value that's been, at least the same value that that's been there in the financials that they're seeing in the business. And I guess the other elements that I'd add for cranking business value are, as you say, reducing risk. So, of course, from a legal perspective, we would say making sure that you've de-risked the business or reduced risk in a business from a legal perspective. But it's also about, I guess, systems and processes. It's the way you run a business as well. And in our experience, that's something that really feeds into higher multiples. When a new buyer can come in and the systems, the business runs predictably with certainty on its own, uh, on the basis of the systems that have been built. Absolutely. That's it. Okay. So, we've cranked our business value. Where do we go to now, Ben? Now, uh, you know, what we find is when um, people sort of, or their business become worth a lot more money or even uh, personally their wealth is increasing, uh, then, uh, you know, they need to be careful of covering their assets. Um, (laughs) I like that emphasis, assets. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, you know, often people don't worry about asset protection uh, until they need it. Uh, the problem with that is it's usually quite difficult to achieve uh, if you, you know, in an emergency, you need some form of asset protection. And so, um, you know, this is one of the things like you know, tax planning strategies where you need to sort of get right in advance. Um, and, um, you know, we've written a, a couple of different things on how you can use different business structures to achieve uh, some level of asset protection. Um, and the way I usually talk about it is it's a, a continuum of, of people's um, acceptability to risk. Like how comfortable are you uh, with risk? Like are you happy just, you know, being out there ready to be sort of sued whenever whenever you turn the corner? Cool. You might have a low level. Um, but some people, you know, especially um, you know, once you've built a bit of wealth, are, are very concerned or that's a very high priority for them. Um, and so, yeah, we want to be able to help clients match their level of um, their level of risk with a, a, an appropriate business structure and how they hold their family wealth. Mm, okay, I, I think that this makes absolute sense. And um, you know, of course, from a legal perspective, we're very focused on um, you know protection, which extends to the protection of um, of the owner's own assets. So, what are some of the ways that you look at in your book for covering off this area? So structure, you talked about structure as one element. Are there other areas that you also consider? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've actually got rules. (laughs) There's rules of asset protection. Um, One of them is separating your business risk, so the actual business entity, from your personal assets. Um, So it's things like, you know, don't be a sole trader and own your home in your own name. Like, it's just not cool. Um, uh, <laughs> as a as an, a ridiculous example, um, absolutely. You know, 
Another sort of rule number two is, is choose a risk taker and an asset person in a family where you've got a, um, a spouse. And that basically means that um, you know, as the as the risk taker, you might be the director of the company, and um, you know if anyone's going to sue the company or potentially you as the director, that's that's who's going to take the, the fall. And the asset person holds the family assets or wealth. And so even if the the risk taker is sued. Um, you know, they basically turn their pockets inside out and say, look, not worth anything. Mm. And this is a really interesting one because uh, some of our listeners will probably say, okay, well, that's obvious. Yes, uh, you, you know, I, I know all about that. But for some of our listeners, they may not be aware of how important this principle is. And I think the, the interesting, when I deal with people who, say, for example, have, have a business and then they've got both husband and wife directors of the company, for example, which is quite, you must see this a bit, you know, when we have new clients coming into us, we run them through a legal review process quite often and and this will often be something that will identify as part of that process. And then, you know, the assets are all in joint names as well. But quite often why it happens is because people have this, I think it's an emotional connection, this feeling that they should both be directors of a company because, you know, emotionally they both feel that they've created the company or whatever the, whatever the reason is. But then from an asset position, it's, well, I don't want to feel that they're holding or, you know what I mean? I, I think there's this emotion about who they feel is is um, you know participating? Who really owns things because of the the ownership name we're giving to various things? And I think business owners have got to get over that. Is my is my position? Absolutely. Um, you know, and it was freaky. Like uh, my my wife and I bought a block of land, and we're sort of building a house at the moment. And, um, you know, I've, it, it was, you know, huge going, actually, no, uh, Stevie, um, you're going to be signing everything. Um, and we literally had to tell the builder probably about four or five times to change the name back to Stevie because they kept writing then and Stevie. So, it's, yeah, um, but I think it's liberating once you understand the differences between risk taker and asset person. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not that I think the goal in business is to go out and be silly and, you know, try to, you know, try to do things so dangerously or that your intention is to, you know, pretty much get sued, but it's, you know, it, it's just those you know, unfortunate things that might pop up in business that you go, oh, okay, uh, when we're not doing, you know, we're not doing so well here, or we've made a mistake with a customer, um, and it's almost like I don't want to lose my house because of something that's happened in the business. And so that's the sort of thing we're trying to avoid. I'm not trying to, you know, encourage phoenixing and, sure. um, you know, just unethical um, business practices. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the other element though is when look, let's get real business can be really hard, right? You know, and there's almost no business owners that I've met that have come to having built really solid, strong businesses that haven't had periods where, you know, crap has happened. You know, markets have changed. Things have become dire in the business for one reason or another. The reality though, is that if you have this concern that your assets outside of the business are exposed as well as your assets of the business. I think it can create 
a far more difficult emotional environment than the business owner who can sit there and make decisions on the basis of, well, we have a segregated approach to here's the business assets and those outside, you, you know, those are, are, are personal assets that are protected. So, you know, and of course, we have the option of using things like trusts and other structures other than holding things in personal names that can assist in providing asset protection. But the the reason behind this is to, I, I think one of the real reasons behind it is to really helping create that absolute separation between business and personal and allow the business owners the space when things aren't going right to not be overtaken by emotion. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's a, it's a massive one. And so, sometimes the elephant in the room, so just to add there, is um, you know the question that always comes up when I sort of share about this in a group or even in, in one-to-one meetings with clients is, uh, you know, what about divorce? So if I put you know, everything in my husband's name or if I put everything in my wife's name and, and they go and take off, then what's the sort of recourse, um, you know, for me to not be left without anything? And, you know, I'm, I'm not a family lawyer. Um, and all disclosure, I'm not either. So full <laughs> disclosures here, we're not giving any advice in relation to family law right now. We're just chatting. <laughs> That's it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I have checked with two different uh, family lawyers and they basically say that the assets you build together as a husband and wife or, um, you know, are actually considered marital assets. And so in the case of the divorce, the, the, the family courts don't usually see it as 100% um, asset person's assets and, you know, the, the risk taker owns nothing. They'll see it as a pool and never or very rarely, I understand, is the split 50-50. It's, there's no sort of, I think it totally depends on what's happened and all that sort of stuff. So My understanding is that in, in family law matters, you, your structure becomes a bit ir- irrelevant, you know, as you're yes. saying. So don't let that be a reason. But having said that, you know, neither Ben nor I are giving um, advice <laughs> right at the moment in relation to family <laughs> law. But we're, we're just telling it as we have been, you know, passing on information that we've heard over time. Good, good work, good work. Okay. <laughs> uh, look, you know what, I, I, we laugh, but I have to say it's actually a quite common concern that is raised with me as well. So I, I think it is on people's minds. So Definitely. Okay, so I think we're up to number seven, lucky last year. What's the last one of getting cashed up here, Ben? Yeah, uh, well, it's last, but it's kind of the most important, we reckon, and it's called Creating Lifestyle. And, um, yeah, we just basically don't want to be working away you know, all our lives, um, you know, not really thinking about spending time with our families or um, you know, having some holidays throughout the year and that sort of thing. And so basically we, we put this chapter in just to remind everyone why we're kind of doing this. When, when I sort of asked our clients and, and other business owners why they set their business up, um, in most cases it was either a more a freedom of time or money to spend with their family. Uh, doing things that they love. So, um, yeah, we just want to kind of remind people that, um, you, know, you know, take some holidays. Literally, I'm pretty sure we've got them here, take eight to 12 weeks of holidays a year. Wow. Is that the recommendation, eight to 12 weeks? Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And do you do that, Ben? Do people in your organisation sort of follow along on, on this idea? Absolutely. So, um, so that's Harvey and I's goal, and we pre-plan that um, uh, a year in advance. So, 
Uh, so we basically want to have holidays booked in and then our, our events or our seasons in the business fit around that. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it sounds a little bit, um, what's the word, uh, Oh, I need a word. Fun? Here. No. Fun or like <laughs> as, aspirational. Aspirational. And that, <laughs> yep. And that doesn't mean for 12 weeks a year that I'm totally disconnected. I totally don't have a worry in the world about Inspire or there's nothing to do. Um, you know, holidays you know, look like a little bit of work here and there, um, but, um, you know, you're there to kind of spend time with the family and, and basically not get to, you know, retirement or selling the business and go, geez, I just missed a couple of decades of my life. Um, so didn't take the time for this stuff. What a great point to end on there. I, I think that's a really good one. And I bet, I bet there's a lot of listeners out there who aren't taking anywhere near that eight to 12 weeks that you're recommending here. And and maybe that in itself then seems like a bit too much of a lofty goal to start with, but you you know, maybe just add a couple of extra weeks here this year and then aim to add a couple of extra more the following year um, and work yourself up to this eight to 12 that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's it's not that you go from zero to twelve in, you know, in in a few months or, you know, your first year, but um yeah, definitely make provision for it. And uh, you know, funnily enough, uh <laughs> you know, when when you set yourself in a holiday um and you know that let's say it's it's Tuesday in the week and on Friday's your last day before you leave for a couple of weeks on holiday. Amazing the amount of work you get done in that. How productive are you in that last space? That's so true. So, a good point. Like, if we go on more holidays, we'll have more productive bursts. I like it. I'm working with that, Ben. I'm holding you to that. (laughs) Yeah. You come back to the Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Fabulous. Okay, Ben, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, If our listeners are keen to get their hands on a copy of um, Getting Cashed Up, where do they go? Yeah, so uh, fairly easy to find. It's um, uh, on on our website at inspire.business forward slash book. Uh, and you can buy uh, cashed up on there. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's usually in the mail that day and uh, in your letterboxes um, in two or three days later. Fabulous. Okay, wonderful. Well, look, um, we'll put just in case you're um, out for a run, walking the dog on, a, you know, driving to work at the moment and you um, aren't able to write that down, we'll put a link to it in our show notes. All you have to do is pop over to our show notes and we'll link right there through to the book and we'll also link through to Ben and Inspire in case uh, you want to find out a little bit more about the work that he does with their clients over at Inspire. Thank you so much, Ben, for all of your time. Hopefully you have a fabulous day and and thanks for all of the information you've shared. Uh, Thanks so much, Joanna. uh, Yeah, uh, again, much appreciated you having me on the podcast. Well, that concludes today's episode with Ben Walker of Inspire CA, where we talked about his brand new book, Cashed Up, Seven Steps to Pull More Money, Time and Happiness from Your Business. Now, again, as a quick recap, these seven steps are number one, cutting taxes. Who doesn't want to do that? Number two, capturing profits. Step three, controlling cash flow. 
Step four, checking your numbers. Step five, cranking up your business value. Step six, covering your assets. And step seven, creating lifestyle. Well, we hope that today's discussion has inspired you to grab a copy of Ben's book and to seriously consider implementing the steps outlined in this book so that you too can pull more money, time and happiness from your business because we certainly believe that you absolutely deserve it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today, guys. And if you did and you're not already subscribed, then I encourage you to head to iTunes or your favorite podcast player and subscribe to Talking Law in order to get notifications straight to your phone whenever a new episode is out. Okay, well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.